Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1 through 4 of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at boschsecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of LPRC's Crime Science, the podcast today, uh, the latest in our weekly update series. I'm joined by Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan and our producer, Diego Rodriguez. And uh, we'll start off again talking a little bit about the pandemic. Um, it, it's it's just here we are um, as we record on this Tuesday uh, in November, and um, we've still got the global pandemic. Europe, uh, particularly um, the Northern Europe and Central Europe part, seems to be heavily hit by particularly the Delta uh, and Delta Plus variants. Um, Europe may uh, add an additional 300,000 fatalities, they're thinking potentially in the 21-22 period. Um, Germany and Austria, especially hard hit, um, more lockdowns and uh, vaccine mandates. Um, the United States, uh, now we're at that point where 2021 deaths, deaths attributed to uh, the COVID-19 disease surpassed all of 2020, all of 2020. So, um, you know, the, the issue continues um, for, you know, 95, 98% of people that uh, the, if you do contract the disease, uh, while it could be serious, not necessarily deadly, but there are those that it is, um, but so many, it is very serious. Um, and we've talked about some of the um, persistent uh, sensation effects uh, like loss uh, or change in taste or loss or change in the sense of smell, uh, evidently some neuro uh, damage uh, by the disease and so forth. So we know it's still serious. Um, vaccines continue to roll out. We talk about there are now 75 preclinical vaccine candidates um, in different phases of computer simulation and animal studies. 107 in human clinical trials, 51 candidates in phase one, 47 additional candidates in phase two, and 41 more of COVID-19 vaccine candidates in phase three trials. And uh, still the eight that are officially approved. We know that in Israel, according to the news, they are now considering a fourth booster. You know, we've talked about this, the evidence continues to emerge across the United States and across the world um, that, uh, the, the, that all the vaccines that have been approved do provide a lot of protection, serious protection, uh, substantial protection against serious disease, uh, not necessarily infection, but there is uh, protection against infection for vaccinated. And, but initially, uh, it looked like it was about you were 15 times less likely to contract uh, or the the disease, or become seriously infected if you ha- if you were vaccinated, but that wanes now, looking at about five times more protection than the non-vaccinated individual, uh, given if they were exposed to the same amount of inoculum or viral particles. So 
Um, there's protection against infection, but again, these uh, vaccines are designed uh, by the scientists to protect us against very serious responses uh, by our body that can be um, even deadly, as well as, of course, just serious replication and disease effects. So that's the primary mission of a vaccine. Um, <clears throat> the therapies we talked about before that seem very promising, the pill forms by both Merck and by Pfizer continue to move through. Um, Pfizer has submitted their data for FDA analysis and CDC and other uh, feedback, as well as independent panels of physicians and scientists. Um, and again, all of these vaccine candidates, all the therapy candidates go through rigorous testing and evaluation by independent groups, by panels, and as well as by U.S. government scientists and physicians. So um, stand by for that, but they do both apparently look promising in their phase one, two, and three trials. Um, we also mentioned the low-cost antidepressant, the same thing. So they're trying to get, um, because it's already an approved medication, uh, be able to use this for uh, on, a more, on a broader scale. Um, even other interesting developments, uh, there's a particular chewing gum that's been developed that uh, would be if somebody believes they're infected or, or is, uh, they could chew the gum that would reduce their viral loads. In other words, potential for them to spread um, the particles, the uh, SARS-CoV-2 particles that lead to the COVID-19 disease uh, because the ACE2 proteins in the gum and so forth are designed to trap viral particles. So very unique, very novel. Um, so we're seeing a lot of different uh, types of vaccines uh, and act in different ways, different types of therapies. Uh, including chewing gum. So uh, stay tuned on more information around that. Switching, uh, I think here we go again, it just seems to never end. Um, but the mass violence in the United States, a lot of tracking, we had uh, 40 different parties chains involved in our uh, LPRC uh, fusion net platform uh, as they prepared for and uh, handled the, uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial up in Kenosha. And um, to share ideas and trade, we also are now seeing that activity around the um, Ahmad Arbery trial that's now gone to the jury as we speak um, in Georgia. And so uh, people are standing by to see what might occur there. But regardless, the mass violence, particularly across the West Coast, all over California, where you've got these organized and semi-organized groups that are running in, uh, and we saw the, the Nordstrom event there in Walnut Creek, California, as an exemplar where uh, dozens of vehicles appear at the same time. They all race in, strip the store. Uh, people can be injured or are. People are horrified, terrified, intimidated. Um, and so we see a lot more of this lawlessness. We saw the parade as well, and what happened there with uh, potentially, it looks like a a gentleman, a rapper, was arrested for that crime, where five people so far have perished from uh, his violence, uh, as well as just about 50 were injured, including very seriously injured. Um, so it, we seem to have a spate of this kind of violent shoplifting going on uh, and other types of violent events around the United States and spreading. So, you know, stay tuned. It's a major emphasis for us at the LPRC. And so kind of rolling over to the annual LPRC kickoff event um, hosted by Bloomingdale's at their flagship store in Manhattan, January 19th. 
It'll run from 8.30 to 12.30 on January 19th. Again, the uh, Bloomingdale's flagship store in Manhattan. And what we'll be doing, we have two parts of the theme. We'll spend two hours on each. And Diego has crafted a, an excellent uh, agenda for us, uh, but we'll focus on partnerships, partnerships with each other. In this case, the retail LPAP executives through networking like FusionNet, um, through their connecting their SOCs and EOCs, command centers, uh, that type of research would be doing through the SOC lab. Um, partnering through some of the platforms that are out there by organizations like Alto and Aura and um, ThinkLP and so forth. Um, some of the crawlers and other technologies like from Cognite and Cobwebs and others. Um, so we'll be gathering up there to go through, talk about what research is needed, who would participate in the research, uh, explore those dynamics, uh, as well as exploring upcoming research plan and help us plan research in preventing theft, fraud, and violence itself. So partnerships, networking, uh, combining, collaborating together as a community, um, working with NRF and RELA and others to be a more focused lobbying effort for uh, gaps that are out there in statutes and ordinances. Um, and then, of course, working on the actual science uh, to get better at preventing and uh, disrupting the different types of violence, fraud, and theft. So look forward to January 19th in New York City um, and beyond. We've got, again, six planned events for 2022 at the LPRC. We've got Ignite in late February and uh, look for a product protection, look for a violent crime, and look for a supply chain protection summit, each of those three different summits, as well as, of course, impact. And for the number ones and number twos of the retail organizations, we've got strategy at. We'll have two of those different ones where we're talking at more strategic uh, level, sort of like strategic foresight and planning and so on. So with no further ado, if I might turn it over to Tony. Thank you very much, uh, Reed, and great update on both LPRC and also COVID. I actually just returned from Europe, and Europe is actually going through another wave, it looks like. Um, Austria is locking down again. Uh, they're actually going into a lockdown phase for, for 20 days. And then Netherlands also going into a lockdown phase. And Germany's evaluating more aggressive ways to stop this wave. So interesting times to travel. I actually went through a COVID uh, scare myself uh, based on arriving and thinking that potentially I had COVID and then trying to figure out how do you actually internationally travel or isolate and do all those types of things. But good news, it was only a cold and I was able to get back, so I'm back in the US. Let me jump into some data this week that I found very interesting. Let me start with some that came from visual capitalists on what happens on the internet every minute. And they start their, their review by first uh, stating that globally, as of July, 2021 this year, the internet now reaches 65% of the global population and represents 5.17 billion people. And that's an increase in just roughly six months to January, so a 10% increase. So the internet continues to march. Of this total, 93% access the internet via mobile. So it tells you the advent of smartphones and how ubiquitous they're getting around the world. The total data consumed Globally in 2021 with 79 zettabytes. 
and it's projected to grow to more than double to 180 terabytes by 2025. If you're wondering what a zettabyte is, it's the equivalent to one trillion gigabytes. So one trillion gigabytes. So it's a lot of data that's coming our way. So what is happening with all that data and how's it being gathered? So here's a sample of the data generated every minute on the internet. Twitter uh, users post uh, 575,000 tweets. On TikTok, we watch 167 million videos in one minute. On YouTube, we stream nearly 700,000 hours. On Netflix, we watch over just 450,000 hours. Zoom hosts eight, uh, nearly 900 minutes of webinars. Instacart spend, uh, users spend $67,000. Google in one minute conducts 5.7 million searches. 12 million people send an iMessage in one minute on the internet. Clubhouse, which is a fast growing social audio app, uh, creates 208 new rooms. In one minute, 6 million people shop online. And in one minute, Amazon, uh, we spend on Amazon nearly $300,000. So gives you an idea how much the internet is part of our life and how ubiquitous and ingrained we are in terms of using it. Let me switch now to a great webinar that took place this week from the IHL group in terms of what's happening to retail. So one of the things that is happening today, retail is uh, Chinese uh, Singles Day, which is a holiday shopping that ends on uh, November 11. And this year it generated $139 billion with Alibaba sales rising 8% and JD.com rising uh, 28%. Uh, I've mentioned it, uh, Singles Day many times, but again, Singles Day started as a college prank on college campuses when singles decided they needed to have more fun than Valentine's. So, so they set up November 11th, which is 1-1, as the shopping day where they will go out and buy themselves a gift. And initially started as a one-day shopping event, it is now a shopping festival ending November 11, and it includes lots of new technology, including live streaming. So it's really a shopping feast of technology online. It's something, it's a wonder to watch. I mean, Taylor Swift opened last year. I mean, it's, a, it's something to really watch in terms of what's possible in blending online and entertainment, online shopping and entertainment. In the uh, webinar, IHL also pointed out that USA is the star in the world right now in terms of growth and retail sales. Through October, retail sales are up 18% in the US. All sectors are green. Good news, the leading sectors, especially soft goods, which includes apparel, which increased nearly uh, 54%. And remember apparel was one of the hardest hit sector. Convenience stores and restaurants are registering 30% plus growth. Even the pandemic hit department stores are up 24%. The food sector spiked slow. They're only up 3%. And drug stores are roughly up 9.5%. So lots and lots of good news in terms of U.S. retail. The top retail challenges that IHL sees um, in retail right now are inflation in wages and product costs, the port issues, 
meaning the product and package shortages. Each container ship, they summarize, carries enough merchandise to fill uh, three average size malls. Labor shortages is also a challenge, and they call it the worst labor market since World War II. Chip shortages in all areas and continued COVID protocol. IHL projects that the retail and hospitality labor shortages are actually here to stay. Pure on online and delivery services have gobbled up 2.2 to 4 million workers. So those are all new workers that didn't exist before the gig economy. For the holidays, retailers are, are hiring 11% more workers. We're reaching nearly a million people. So lots of recruiting going on, but there's a shortage in terms of people available. For the holidays, sales are projected to grow 5 to 11%. Uh, retailers are planning less discounts, expect 34% less discounts in electronics, 75% less discounts in sporting goods, 82% less discounts in tools, TV, furniture, and computers. Toys is the only place where you're going to find a deal. They will discount more at 112%. So IHL, what they're telling people is, Buy gift cards, give gift cards, because what will happen, all those ships that are stuck in ports will finally come in. And in January, February, everything will be heavily discounted. So that gift card will be very, very valuable. They also predict, uh, which is interesting, that the U.S. retail economy will hit a brick wall in March and April 2022. And finally, in this webinar, they listed the seven technologies winning retailers are prioritizing for 2022. Uh, one is winning uh, retailers leverage geolocation for marketing. Uh, winners are 193% more likely to than average retailers um, to, to use geolocation. Winners are, are reviewing new fulfillment options, that's number two. So winners are deploying second location within store at rates of 411% more to optimize margins. Number three, winners are automating inventory operations. Robotics in inventory operation and micro-fulfillment centers are increasing 600% in the next two years. RFID continues its uh, adoption with inventory accuracy being the primary driver. Winning retailers are playing 200% more uh, in driving growth in the next two years with RFID. Uh, five uh, winning retailers are all in with 5G. 47% of retailers plan to have it installed in two years. We did 152%. That's an, an increase of 852% from today. Uh, number six, winning retailers are in the metaverse. So all this hype started by Facebook. Uh, it is coming to retail, augmented reality shopping. Um, it's coming to retail. Um, and it's going to grow 279% in the next two years. 24% of all winning retailers to have it installed in the next two years. And finally, winners uh, hear you. So voice recognition is continuing at its growth. Winning retailers plan nearly on 800% growth in the adoptions of voice sets for order picking in the next two years. So read all that technology you're installing at the LPRC with those virtual centers is gonna become more critical because all the data points to much more reverses, especially if you think about what happens in one minute on the internet. So with that, 
Let me turn it over to Tom. Well, thank you, Tony, and thank you, Rita. A couple of different things, and you'll hear some some repetitiveness. And I'll start off with some of the civil unrest and violence throughout the United States, and actually, really throughout the globe. If you see what's occurring right now, uh, you have countries that you would normally not see the level of civil unrest. A lot of it is centered around lockdowns and vaccine mandates. Um, I know Tony's uh, done some global travel reading myself, and kind of, uh, there is a, a COVID or corona fatigue that is building. And in some countries, there are uh, significant and rather significant civil unrest around vaccine mandates and lockdowns. I think we're going to continue to see that trend, unfortunately. Here in the United States, um, uh, I was uh, involved in some of the fusion activity uh, virtually and kind of sharing information. Uh, there was, uh, you know, an overwhelming census, and I, I don't normally say this. I, I feel the media did drive some of this uh, specific specific to the Kyle Rittenhouse piece of where there'd be very, very implicit media um, comments made, and then uh, things that occurred afterwards. Uh, the civil unrest, if you looked at uh, from a chatter on social media, whether it be Facebook, or Reddit, or Twitter. Uh, was less than I've seen it in the past where um, this is, I don't know if this is a good or a bad sign. It's anecdotal at best, but I saw less chatter than I have in the past. I saw less organizational type chatter than we did uh, in months past. Uh, and, you know, my belief is, again, just my opinion, as it gets colder, folks uh, tend to not organize as, as much. So there was some chat chatter actually in the Telegram group about the weather and people saying, well, we need to do this in the day because it's going to be in the 30s at night and we don't want to march when it's in the 30s. So uh, the weather may be helping us. I do, however, think uh, to Reed's point earlier, we need to be pay very close attention to what's occurring in Georgia um, with everybody's heightened sense of uh, what's occurring. I think there we do have a recipe for another round of significant civil disturbance coming. There was and is a tremendous amount of chatter um, last night and today. A good thing here is most of the chatter appears to be nonviolent. It isn't, it isn't the chatter that we were seeing months ago. Uh, although I did see, you know, thousands upon thousands of posts with the, with the hashtag burn it down throughout multiple, um, Twitter accounts, but I don't, the folks that were commenting were actually not folks that I would say would would be the the folks that would be out protesting. And again, a lot of this is anecdotal, but as you do active intelligence, you can identify um, relatively quickly who's an agitator, who's an actual protester, who's someone that um, goes out and protests everything every time something's going on based on their history and their photos. And then the professional um, protesters, I, I, mean, I would refer to them as professional uh, agitators, folks that are paid to assemble and, and bring groups together. Uh, the, the thing that I would say that was starkly different the, this time specifically in the New York Metro market and the California, Southern California is that the paid uh, uh, folks, the folks that organized were talking about peaceful and don't come if, if you're not going to be because you know, we, we need to move forward with it. Uh, I, I, I know that I will continue to monitor. I know the LPRC will as well. Um, and I do think we have um, the next couple of weeks will be uh, certainly interesting and something to keep a close eye on both globally and here in the United States. Uh, switching gears a little bit um, to organized retail crime. So there was a, a study that Rila did with the Buy Safe 
America Coalition to show that organized retail crime has could be as much as $68 billion. That number is, is growing significantly. And it's important to note that in that study, that's pre-COVID numbers, so 2019. So uh, as we all talk, we, we talk about the increase in some of these activities like what we saw in San Francisco, uh, uh, where I think it was 60 to 70 people storming a store. Uh, so we don't know yet what the what the long-term impact of COVID is on organized retail crime. I was um, actually at the CLEAR conference, which is the Coalition of Law Enforcement Retail, and uh, got to spend some time with folks last week it centered around organized retail crime. And that $68 billion number is significant and seems to be growing. A couple of thing, uh, things in this study that I thought were really interesting is that um, the, the level of reported threats or violence, so 86% of the folks that were in the survey uh, said that they were either verbally threatened uh, in, in the act, and then there's 75% uh, of said that there were physical assaults of associates. So uh, definitely a big, big change there. And then something that I thought was really, really glaring, which I haven't heard, and I think something that I'm going to continue to research is, 40% said there was a weapon involved, which isn't what we would typically, and again, when I say we, I should say me, not typically what I would see in an organized theft ring. Generally, organized theft folks go in and out uh, while they can be brazen and, and do a smash and grab. Um, I generally, in the past, if you'd asked me, I would not have said that there would be a weapon used in an ORC environment. I'm, I'm going to read further into it, and I think I'll probably revisit this again because I thought it was really interesting. Uh, one thing that was glaringly obvious at the at the the clear conference, which is a great thing, is that there are federal law enforcement uh, at a very high level uh, who were talking about organized retail crime and uh, making themselves available. So Homeland Security was very involved. And for those of the listeners that don't realize, Homeland Security has an actually really wide net of what crimes they can uh, get involved in, unlike some of the other federal agencies that are somewhat limited in scope. Uh, the HSI group has a lot of a lot of depth, so I think we'll continue to see some of the uh, federal folks getting more involved in true ORC cases. So that was really a, an interesting um, thing to hear from the mouth of the folks there. So Deputy Director of Homeland Security being there, several uh, supervisors from the FBI being at the event and uh, showing the support, just showing the support coming out really. Uh, uh, helps a lot for everybody here who's probably listening to this podcast today. Uh, I had uh, the opportunity to speak about human trafficking and organized retail crime and really um, got a lot of feedback uh, from the federal folks about forced labor and how retailers um, are learning about how forced labor is a direct impact with ORC and it relates to human trafficking. So switching a little bit back to the cyber side, I, I think uh, in last week's taping talked about um, in a hack that was performed against the FBI. So there's more information today. I actually think when we were taping, it was within 28 or 48 hours worth of information that was so new that there wasn't there. So this, this hack primarily affected their email servers. Um, the there Now we're getting more information that this really, it was a hoax email blast uh, from the FBI servers on uh, bulletin so LEEP's net, we're probably a lot of folks on here where there are bulletins that go out to warn of critical infrastructure breaches and things of that nature. Uh, in this in this hoax email uh, uh, hack, it appears that and the FBI has really stayed very consistent this, that there was no compromised data whatsoever 
uh, this was really just getting in and being able to, to flood out uh, emails from this. Uh, and it, it, in typical kind of fashion here, uh, there are multiple people that have taken kind of responsibility for this. There's still a lot more um, to, to come from it. It is also important to note that it looks like right now it has only affected law enforcement enterprise portal. It doesn't look like their, the corporate email was infiltrated. And additionally, that this was infiltrated to send out messages, not necessarily to read messages. And what uh, a lot of folks are reporting and very, very reliable source of reporting is that this was due to uh, poor coding in the website. So, you know, outdated or poor coding, which allowed someone to take advantage of um, of this poor coding. So bad a bad header uh, email is what you would get after that. So if you're reading about this, don't mix the two up. The, the, the coding in the email doesn't have to do with the coding actually in the website and how they breached it. And then kind of, again, just going along a little bit of what Tony was talking about, but digital payment. So there's a lot in the news about Bitcoin and retailers accepting Bitcoin. I think Kroger was one of the big, big retailers that just said that they would accept cryptocurrency. And we're going to continue to see that. Probably also, if you're following Bitcoin, are hearing a lot about El Salvador uh, accepting Bitcoin as a form of tender, uh, you know, an official form of payment. It's important to note, and I'm not knocking this at all, that El Salvador is not a developed country. So it isn't a good testing ground for anything that occurs in a developed country. And um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about El Salvador is that they were talking about, uh, you know, buying 18 to $40 million of Bitcoin. And I just want everybody to think about how insignificant that number is for, for a government to talk about. The news this week uh, has transferred to El Salvador building a Bitcan uh, Bitcoin city. And really, this is um, uh, an interesting kind of uh, an interesting kind of way of, of the government portraying this. The, uh, the leader of El Salvador, uh, no matter whether you agree with his political motives, is a younger um, person. I think he's actually 40. Uh, he believes heavily in Bitcoin as the future. Um, and so this Bitcoin city will actually uh, mine Bitcoin and develop Bitcoin and be powered by a volcano. So very interesting from a tech standpoint. A little bit often to the left and kind of... Um, when I read the story, I had to read it a couple of times because I wasn't sure how accurate it was. And then they will be funding it with a billion dollar bond. Um, so they're basically borrowing money from themselves. The interesting part in with this is the El Salvadorian government. Um, I don't know that they actually have a billion dollars. So it's a very, it's a very um, fluid and interesting subject. But what I really thought was pertinent here to talk about is that Bitcoin is consistently in the news, and more importantly, cryptocurrency is consistently in the news. And as retailers start to take Bitcoin, what are some of the risks uh, that retailers have from a fraud exposure or customer impact? I think it's definitely too early to talk about that. Um, I think at first glance, you would say Bitcoin, there is no risk. You know, my, my opinion, and I, I, my full-time job, more than 50% of my time is spent in the financial sector. So this is crypto and digital currency comes up a lot is today I equate Bitcoin as the same as cash where there is no liability for a merchant. Uh, the liability falls on the consumer. If you drop that $100 bill on the floor while you're in, in a store, it's not the store's responsibility, it's your responsibility. So Bitcoin at this stage of the game is very similar where if you don't have control of your hot or cold wallet, uh, and you lose that money, it can't be 
put onto the retailer. I do, however, think as we all know on the on the call, um, when you have good customers, you have that green customer, not the red customer that experiences fraud uh, in your location, uh, it's it becomes your issue, regardless of whether it's their fault or not. Um, and I equate it to, I think Reed and I were actually together somewhere having dinner with a couple of folks and they said they had to give free thing, they had to keep giving customers free things because in their San Francisco location, when the customers would leave, people would steal their bags and the customers would come back and say, you need to do more about this. And I, you know, kind of shook my head and said, wow, we're to the point now where someone gets robbed a block away from a store and the and the merchant's responsible. And while that sounds crazy, that happens today every day. So as we continue to drive crypto and, and Bitcoin payments, I think we need to um, to share learnings and the LPRC is definitely a place for that of what we're seeing. It's still remarkably insignificant in the totality of what people use as a payment. Uh, it's not even really, um, you're not even really able to tangibly get the data. It's so small. It's kind of a niche thing that I think retailers are smart by doing. I, um, very similar to when contactless payment was only, you know, one provider of a, of a, a digital wallet, a couple of retailers jumped on this and uh, it, it definitely gives great press, great attention, and it does serve a niche community of folks there. So we'll continue to monitor that as well. So a lot of different things today. Uh, with that, I will turn it back over to Reed. All right, well, thanks so much, Tom. Thanks, Tony, for all your updates. Very informative, uh, a little scary sometimes, but always better to be informed and to be thoughtful about things. And again, I wanna remind everybody, you know, our whole team, we're not here to uh, espouse any philosophy or even any practice, but rather just to inform uh, for you guys to think about, to look into more information, right? We're an evidence-based or science-informed organization, and we wanted to make sure that that's the philosophy for you all in the same way that it is for us, and that means digging deep, finding information, looking at contrasting views and perspectives, but the evidence that they cite, and then even looking into the credibility and reliability of that evidence that they are citing if, if there is some evidence cited. So um, a lot going on. I think one last thing too, at the LPRC uh, in the engagement lab, we're now just over 175 deployed technologies. Uh, we anticipate probably another 50 to 100 more technologies that will be deployed in the uh, engagement lab that is a simulated store environment. Um, we invite you to come into Gainesville uh, to set a visit with us, to get online and visit uh, via Matterport virtual tours of our labs, uh, the Safer Places Lab, which is in fact the entire square block, which has four sub blocks in it, uh, our test environment, more and more technologies being layered in there. Um, we've got multiple missions, we call them reuse cases for each of three live view platforms. Um, and so look for sensors there <clears throat> that, we're to be, that we've got deployed that include uh, ground surveillance radar, thermal radar, LIDAR, um, and different types of day-night IR and so on cameras uh, acting as sensors in addition to microphones, um, and then finally other digital sensors. And so what you can see is in this four block area within the overall huge square block, um, we can simulate now four different places or four connected places, um, but look at setting up a community with license plate readers um, and all the other sensors so that we can better understand and whether we're talking about the horrific uh, parade event, the incident that we just saw, that crime or others. Um, we've got a great testing platform. We want to invite 
uh, our listeners to come visit, share ideas. If you're a technology provider to come think about what you would like to deploy, how, how you like to integrate. And remember, we've got a soon to be world-class security operations center lab or SOC lab. It's a command center that will allow us to use multiple servers to bring in data from all types of online crawlers and sensors you're hearing uh, Tom Meehan talk about, as well as sensors from across the square block or in the engagement lab. Um, so again, that local place user via a smart device or the enterprise um, and, the, and the decision makers in that enterprise can have access and information in real time, can have multiple feeds so they can play them off each other, just like we talked about a minute ago. Um, multiple inputs, multiple data sources are is, pref is preferable um, and so on. So with that, I want to sign off. Thank everybody for tuning in. Go to lpresearch.org to learn more about our team, uh, what we're up to, where we're headed. And for those of you that are making it to New York City, we look forward to it. Everybody have a fantastic Thanksgiving and holiday. Stay safe. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast, presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council. 